0: This is the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio Program. I am your host, Dennis Tubergen. Glad you decided to tune in today. Hey, if you've not yet gotten your complimentary copy of my Retirement Roadmap book, I'd like to invite you to get one. The book is titled Retirement Roadmap, and the subtitle of the book is How Many Aspiring Retirees Can Use the Revenue Sourcing Process to Achieve a Secure Tax-Free Retirement in Today's Economy. The book was a number one bestseller when it was released earlier this year. Uh, For those of you that supported the book, again, thank you. Uh, But if you're planning for retirement, I would like to offer you a complimentary copy of this book. Go to -to RoadmapToRetirementBook.com, RoadmapToRetirementBook.com, and request your free copy. It will give you a perspective and strategies to consider uh, in today's economy to... uh, help you succeed in in your planning. So again, RoadmapToRetirementBook.com to to get your complimentary copy of the book. Now, in this segment, I want to talk about a couple things. I want to talk about the economy and employment. I want to talk about how the Fed policy has also created a wealth gap, and that wealth gap is getting wider. This is really an important thing to understand as you're planning for retirement so let me start with the economy it's it's my observation and i am not a trained economist i believe that may give me an advantage in my opinion but on a real basis adjusted for inflation it is now evident to me that we're in a recession Now, we won't know if that's the case officially for a bit. But presently, the Bureau of Economic Analysis suggests that the economy is growing at a very anemic 1%. Now, economist John Williams, who's been a past guest here on the program, who actually has the website shadowstats.com, and there's a lot of terrific information on the website, I would encourage you to check it out, Mr. Williams tracks economic data using calculation methodologies that are no longer used. Should come as no surprise that over the years, as uh, maybe economic data is not as favorable, that the re- the methodologies used to calculate this data are changed so that the reported data becomes more favorable. Well, Mr. Williams, going back and using methodologies that were used in the past to track economic growth, says we are now experiencing negative economic growth, which is the definition of a recession. Now, we have this strange thing going on, this strange phenomenon. Despite the weakening economy, Americans are now quitting their jobs at a record rate. 4.3 million Americans quit their jobs in August. Now, all this is sourced if you go take a look at the Portfolio Watch newsletter from last week, and you can get that newsletter for free by visiting retirementlifestyleadvocates.com, and I would encourage you to check that out as well. But this 4.3 million Americans who quit their jobs in August is a record high, and it's a record high by a long shot. Now, what I'm about to say is not a mistake. From April to August, 20 million Americans quit their jobs. Now, why is that? 20 million Americans quit their jobs from April to August. Well, the, the there's a story on uh, Yahoo News that says that 4.3 million Americans quit their jobs in August, but many, according to the article, bolted to take advantage of 10.4 million job openings, often at higher pay. Well, certainly, some of these quits, if there's a little more than 10 million job openings, and 20 million Americans have left their jobs voluntarily, you can attribute perhaps half of these quits to people moving from one job to another, perhaps to work remotely perhaps because the working environment is more favorable maybe because they're just making more money but that doesn't explain the other 10 million so we have to ask what is the rest of the story well in my view part of the explanation lies with the enhanced unemployment benefits that, are, that were awarded very liberally from April to August during the time frame that we're discussing many workers could collect about $1,000 a week for sitting at home on the couch. No, I'm not saying this is the motivating factor behind all these quits, but certainly it contributed to the record number of quits. Given a choice between collecting enhanced unemployment benefits of about $1,000 a week or going to work and making $1,000 a week or perhaps less, many workers, understandably, made the latter choice. Now, Chris Markowski commented on this. Chris is the host of a podcast titled The Watchdog on Wall Street. And this is what he said, quote, Nobody wants to work. It's everywhere. No one has any workers. The government basically started universal basic income when they sent child care tax credits to individuals. Now, there's one other factor that Mr. Markowski points out. He said, we're already in an unprecedented labor market, and now we've got a vaccine mandate on private employers, which will add to the worker shortage. Now, this is obviously the elephant in the room. And regardless as to how you feel about the mandate, Regardless as to what your own vaccination status is, here's the fact. There are many workers who aren't going to get the vaccine under any circumstances, and they'll quit their jobs rather than get the vaccine. So that is another drag on employment. Now, these labor factors, regardless, again, as to how you feel about them or where you come down on it, the reality is they're just not going to help the economy recover quickly, And I think it validates my view that we are now in a recession, and I think at some future point, in the not-too-distant future, we're going to find that that is the case. Now, let's go back to these enhanced unemployment benefits. Let's go back to these child uh, care tax credits. Let's go back to all this money that has been distributed by the government. Well, how has this been funded? Well, it's no secret that the Fed has been creating currency at a record pace. In fact, it's obvious when you look at the wealth gap that the higher earners, the highest earners, the wealthiest Americans have benefited most from Fed policy. There was an article on Business Insider this past week that said the top 10% of Americans now own 89% of stocks. It's never been that high. The top 10% own 89%, we might as well say almost 9 out of 10, shares of stock. According to the Federal Reserve's own data, the top 1% hold 54% of corporate equities, meaning corporate stocks, and mutual fund shares. That's really all you need to know, because that alone, that statistic alone, tells you that the wealthiest Americans' fortunes have grown a lot faster than the net worth of any other segment of the population. In fact, the lowest-earning Americans have actually seen their wealth decline. Certainly adjusted for inflation, that is the case. Now, if we set Wall Street aside for a second, The top 1% of Americans now hold more overall wealth than all the American middle class. There was an article on Zero Hedge this past week, and there was a chart published that was telling, the wealth of the top 1% now exceeds the middle 60%. Well, what does that mean? Well, the top 1% in income earners now have more wealth than those in the 20% to 80% percentile. That's very solidly the middle class. The top 1% now has more wealth than the middle 60% of wage earners. In fact, American billionaires over the past year and a half have added $2.1 trillion to their cumulative net worth. That's big. That statistic comes from the Policy Studies and Americans for Tax Fairness. The U.S. created 100 new billionaires over the past year and a half, going from 614 to in, in March of 2020 to 745 in October. And the bottom 90% of Americans saw their stock holdings drop to 11% of all stocks. The bottom 50%, about a half a percent. The poverty rate, according to the Census Bureau, ticked up 1% from 2019 to 2020, and median household income also shrank by 2.9%. Again, that's according to the Bureau of Economic Analysis. So we have this, what I believe is going to be a perfect economic storm. We have the wealth gap widening, we have real incomes declining. And as I'll talk about with my guest today, Simon Popple, the inflation genie, is out of the bottle. It's my belief that if you use traditional retirement planning strategies to try to achieve your retirement goals, you may fail. That's why I'm offering an additional resource to all of our listeners. It's the Retirement Roadmap book. If you're just joining me, you can go to the website RoadmapToRetirementBook.com and request your copy of the book. Again, the website is RoadmapToRetirementBook.com. Just let us know where to send your copy of the book. We'll send you a copy of the best-selling book, as well as some bonus information. Again, RoadmapToRetirementBook.com is that website. I will return after these words with my special guest, Mr. Simon Popple. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Joining me once again on today's program is returning guest, Mr. Simon Popple, If you are a longtime listener to RLA Radio, you probably uh, recall that Simon is the publisher of the Brookville Capital Intelligence Report. Uh, His website is brookvillecapital.com, and uh, his work and his publication is devoted to helping people invest in commodities, and given the world in which we live, uh, I thought having Simon back on the program would be especially timely. So, Simon, welcome back to the program.
1: Thanks. Great to be here.
0: So, Simon, maybe before we get into, uh, you know, actually investing in commodities, we should uh, take a step back and just take a look at uh, the world at this point. And uh, certainly uh, here in the United States, uh, inflation is more than noticeable. And uh, you're joining us today from the U.K., and I've been reading some stories there about energy costs and fuel costs. Uh, Seems like the inflation genie is out of the bottle
1: yeah, no, I know. I think that's very true. And um normally when the inflation genie pops out of the bottle, uh interest rates are increased and um uh you know, the genie is put back in the bottle. I think what the big kind of question mark is at the moment is because debt has increased so dramatically over the past few years, uh, you know, to what extent can they increase interest rates? Um, because um uh, obviously if you increase interest rates your debt becomes more expensive and um, uh, you know on the one hand yes you bring down inflation but on the other hand uh, you've got to then find the money to uh, to cover the, the escalating debt, debt cost.
0: Simon it just seems to me that um, you know the, the central banks all around the world I mean I obviously follow the Fed being here in the States but you know, it it seems that they're in a no-win situation where are are going to have massive inflation, perhaps even hyperinflation. Some would argue we're on that path. Or we have, you know, debt defaults and a severe deflationary environment that, you know, will rival or maybe even exceed the 1930s. So um, what's the path forward here for central banks? And, And is there a way to avoid one of those two outcomes, in your opinion?
1: Um, I don't think there is really. Um, I, I think that uh, they're in a, a horrible position. I, th- I think that um, uh, the the most palatable for them is probably inflation, because if you have inflation, then you can bring down the debt because you're paying people back with dollars that are worth less than um, you know what you borrowed in the first place. But that's that's not a long term strategy because you know the next time people. Lend money uh, rather than you know, it's a bit like you know if, if you lend someone enough money to buy ten bottles of wine, but they pay you back with enough money that you can only buy five bottles of wine. Then the next time you you lend them money, you're going to make sure that you've got an interest rate that that means that you should get at least five bottles of wine. Oh, uh, uh, sorry, ten bottles of wine. And I I think that um, inflation you know can work the first time round, but I think they're going to have to. Uh, think of a way of um, making sure that, you know, this doesn't happen again. And uh, I think the only way they can do that is is to, to, you know, to cut expenditure. And um, that is going to hurt people a lot.
0: So, Simon, it just seems to me that, uh, you know, that 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 that's very logical that that you look, you uh, you, you can't have hyperinflation because we, we now have really the lower income earners all in, in many countries around the world are now trying to figure out if they pay rent or they buy fuel or they buy food. And, and, and you know, when that choice uh, becomes reality, you get the populace that becomes uh Quite upset. There's a lot of social unrest, and I think we're we're seeing that now. Um, do you really think that the politicians around the world have the, um, the the discipline or the fortitude to to be able to cut back spending before we have a hyperinflationary outcome?
1: Um, look, they, they, they've got a lot of power. Um, whether or not that is used. Uh, in the best interests of, of the greater population is another is another question. You know, unfortunately, we just don't know. Um, but uh, you know, they, they certainly have power. Um, but you know, I, I, I think the big question really is, um, you know, how they use that power. And I, I think that they will be able to, um, to an extent. And I have to be careful what I say here but you know to an extent they may be able to um, control certain prices but you can't control all prices you know we're living in a capitalist society um, so you know prices are met by supply and demand um, but you know the trouble is is you have knock-on effects so you know for example um, high fuel costs or high energy costs um, they get fed into 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 industry, and um, that industry then has to increase the prices of the product that they produce to respect to to reflect the high, the higher fuel costs, and um, that then increases the cost of their products to let's say a manufacturer, and it, the whole thing snowballs, and it can snowball quite quickly, and. Um, even, you know, in the UK, we've overcome uh, the the fuel crisis that we have. But, I mean, if that was to rear its head again, I mean, the knock-on effects of that were terrible because uh, it meant that people didn't have um, enough fuel to get to work. Now, over the short term, you can deal with that. But if that becomes a longer-term problem, um, then, you know, it's very, very difficult for governments to actually deal with that.
0: Well, if you're just joining us, we're chatting today with Mr. Simon Popple. He is the publisher of the Brookville Capital Intelligence Report. You can learn more about his work at BrookvilleCapital.com. So, Simon, is it your view that uh, we are we are in recession or or heading that way? How would you come down on that question?
1: Um, I, it's difficult to to, to look at um, a, a sort of exciting growth path. Uh, headline, it could look quite good because you've got inflation. So, um, you know, sales revenue is bound to go up because of inflation. So I, I think initially, it could look like a very nice recovery from uh, the pandemic and, and from, from the world we live in at the moment. But as as inflation rears its ugly head, then um, people's purchasing power will go down. So the sort of the the higher... Revenue, perhaps the higher earnings and things like that of the past um, Could feel pretty good uh, For a short term, but when your dollar can't buy as much as it used to tomorrow as it does today um, then uh, You know people would demand more dollars and That's when everything sort of starts to unravel
0: Well Simon uh, th- there's been a lot of attention uh, again recently as, as we're recording this it's the twenty first this will will air just a couple of days after we record it. There's been a lot of uh, renewed, renewed interest in in cryptocurrencies. I think Bitcoin recently made all time highs um, and a number of investors um, are looking toward cryptocurrencies as a way to hedge against this inflation. Um, where do you come down on the cryptocurrency argument?
1: Um, if I'm honest, I don't really understand cryptos. I mean, um, I think that they've obviously got a role to play at the moment. But I, ultimately, I think that governments will want to control currencies. Um, and um, therefore, I think a, a, a dollar crypto, euro crypto, yuan crypto is inevitable. Um, Because central banks want to control the money supply, and you know people have said, "Oh well, you know the crypto's are different. You know you you can't trace them and everything like that." But uh, recently, you know, governments have proven that they're actually quite easy to trace, and um, obviously, you know, they're digital, and um, so you know, I I think the technology is amazing, but. the extent to which they remain independent. Um, you know, I really don't know. And, and uh, I think it was Paulson who said that, you know, uh, cryptos are a limited supply of nothing. And um, <laughs> I'm not saying he's right, but I mean, it's a very, um, you know, uh, it, it's such a new area that a lot of people are scratching their heads and sort of wondering what's going to happen. But I think that if if cryptos do start to hurt, Um, the US dollar and and other currencies um, managed by central banks Uh, I don't think central banks will have a huge amount of patience with them.
0: Well Simon for our listeners maybe that are not familiar with your work um, and you can learn more about Simon's work at brookvillecapital.com talk a bit about the Brookville Capital Intelligence Report and what it is you do and in the next segment our listeners are going to want to stay tuned We're going to talk about, uh, you know, what you're advising your subscribers. But but share with the listeners a bit about what it is that you do.
1: Well, I I really specialize in commodities. I like commodities because you can't print them. And the world that we live in, um, you know, I think that having some gold or silver um, and other commodities is very, very important. And um, what I really do is I look at uh, companies in uh, Canada, the U.S., and Australia, and um, look at companies that I like in the, in those markets, um, and um, you know really try and guide investors um, as to you know really what I'm doing, and, and therefore perhaps what they may, may want to think about doing um, in terms of uh, you know allocating capital to to commodities.
0: Well, I'd encourage the listeners to check out Simon's website at brookvillecapital.com. In the next segment, we will talk with Simon about what he's advising his subscribers and a bit more on uh, why he thinks commodities are important. That's when RLA Radio returns after these words. I'm Dennis Tubergen. You're listening to RLA Radio. My guest today, joining me from uh, his offices in the UK, Mr. Simon Popple, uh, if you're just joining us, uh, Simon is the publisher of the Brookville Capital Intelligence Report. You can learn more about his work at brookvillecapital.com. And Simon, you said something as we closed the last segment that uh, I thought was great. Um, you can't print commodities, and that's why you like commodities. So let's start with the very basics, if we can, and then we'll kind of narrow it down and, and give our listeners some, uh, some some ideas that will hopefully benefit them. Um, Talk about, for somebody who's not familiar, what, what are commodities and, and, and can you give us some examples of, of what they are and then we'll get into maybe how you can invest in companies that could benefit from a rise in price from commodities.
1: No, sure. Well, I mean, commodities, uh, you basically use commodities in, in everyday life and, um, you know, they're incredibly important. Um, they range anything from, you know, the cereal you have in the morning or a cup of coffee um, Through to, you know, hard commodities like gold and silver and um, uh, cobalt, lithium, uh, iron ore, you know, basically, uh, you know, as you said at the top top of the show, you can't print them. And that's one of the things I like about them, because um, uh, in certain instances like gold and silver, you know, they've been around for uh, thousands, if not millions of years. And um, technology has improved dramatically in terms of being able to find them, for example, you've got things like drones that uh, weren't around, uh, you know, several years ago, uh, which means that you know people can explore on a far more cost-effective basis than, than they used to be able to do. Um, and so, you know, commodities really are, you know, an interesting area because they are finite in terms of uh, their their supply. You do need to find them. And uh, especially with the way the world is, is sort of developing uh, more towards clean energy, uh, electric vehicles, and things like that, uh, I think it makes sense for people to have um, some commodities in their in their portfolio.
0: Well, Simon, here on the program, we've talked a lot in the past about the importance of owning some some gold and silver in your portfolio as an inflation hedge, and uh, we'll we'll go back and explore that, but. Taking gold and silver out of the conversation just briefly, uh, what are some of the commodities that, that you really like at this time?
1: Well, uh, let, let's sort of break the market down into different segments. I mean, uh, electric vehicles, uh, the way the world is is shaping up, you've got things like lithium, uh, cobalt, um, graphite is, uh, is quite important for uh, the uh, anode in the batteries. Um, and uh, so you know, I like those commodities. Uh, I, I wouldn't go crazy about them, but I like to have fingers in those pies because if 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 the e v market takes off, then having a lithium or cobalt or nickel or graphite company um could could do very well. Um, looking at other sectors, uh, my neighbor, who is probably the greenest person I know, uh, I said to him, what do you think the greenest form of energy is? And he actually said uranium, you know, nuclear. And so I think that there's going to be a lot more nuclear power. So, you know, therefore, I think uranium, obviously, you know, we've seen the uranium price recently. I mean, it's going, going through the roof. But I think uranium is a very interesting market. And then you've got rare earths and uh, you know, various other commodities as well. Which um, you know they're not called rare for for, for no reason. You know they 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 are very difficult to um, to find um, in in the kind of commercial quantities that you need to uh, to make production viable. So I think that there, there's having exposure to a broad basket of commodities could be um, you know a very attractive way of um, uh, sort of getting exposure to all the exciting developments going on in the world
0: so Simon for our listeners maybe that are not familiar with the the, the rare earths and uh, you know what the industrial application is could, could you fill them in
1: yeah sure I, I mean uh, clean technology is um, becoming more and more important um, with you know climate change and everything like that and and uh, rare earths are uh, increasingly used uh, in different parts of, of the The clean tech world. And um, so, you know, having some clean tech uh, exposure in your in your portfolio through a tangible commodity rather than just perhaps investing in clean tech companies, uh, I think is, you know, it's quite important.
0: So Simon, if, if if we have a listener that says, "Okay, this all makes sense to me," um, I, I should have some exposure to, to lithium and cobalt and, and nickel and graphite and uranium and rare earths. Um, what's the best way for someone to get that exposure in their their, their retirement investments?
1: Well, a, a lot depends on on their uh, appetite for risk and um, and also reward because. Um, explorers uh, uh, are the sort of the highest risk uh, element of the market so you could look at companies exploring for those commodities that perhaps found some already but they want to find more um, but that's that's high-risk stuff but you know the returns can be fantastic um, if you want to be lower down the risk curve then you probably want to be looking at someone who's uh, you know developing uh, a resource they've already found so they're not really looking at to find a lot more um, lithium, cobalt, nickel, whatever it is, but they are more focused on um, uh, taking what they've got into production. And at the lower end of the scale, which is still you know consi- considerable risk, you've then got the producers who are producing that commodity. And um, you know, on the one hand, uh, you know you've got the risk of, of Mining and and production, but you've also got the risk of the commodity price itself, because if um, if if the EV market doesn't take off, then what are you going to do with your lithium? And um, uh, even though a lot of these products have got alternative uses, if you've got a very high grade um, manganese or high grade graphite that is suitable for EV batteries then using that on a a sort of a lower um, application won't um, enable you to sort of demand the sort of premium prices that you would get from something like uh, electric vehicles so um, you know it's it is a risky market you mustn't sort of uh, assume that it isn't because it is but You know, the returns can be very exciting. And as I say, you can't print commodities. So uh, I think that, you know, if you've got a a diverse exposure to them um, and, you know, you've picked the right companies, um, you know, you can have a lot of fun.
0: If you're just joining us, we're chatting today with Mr. Simon Popple. He is the publisher of the Brookville Capital Intelligence Report. You can learn more at brookvillecapital.com. So, Simon, take somebody who's listening to this that maybe is um, aspiring to a, a stress-free retirement. They're concerned about inflation. Uh, they, they, they want something to hedge uh, inflation risk. Um, would you suggest that they look more at the traditional inflation hedges of, of, of gold and silver, or should they diversify with some of the other commodities that we've been talking about?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, stress-free retirement, you know, good luck with that. But um, <laughs> I, I think a lot depends. A lot depends on um, you know how much money they've got, and uh, you know, that, as I say, their appetite for risk. Um, if they are looking at uh, lower risk then um unfortunately you know there's no perfect hedge for for inflation um but um you know what they can do is look at historically what what has happened bowman is to get in touch with me and i can send you some information um on uh, you know what's happened historically to various asset classes and um you know i, I think you just hope that history broadly repeats itself um but um yeah I, I, me personally i like to have a diverse exposure i don't want it to be purely to gold or silver or um you know other uh commodities which are which are purely for um uh you know hedging inflation i, I, I like to have exposure to to other areas as well so, you know commodities for uranium and um, electric vehicles and things like that so um you know i i, I think that people if they want a bit more risk, then have a few more commodities. But if they if they really don't want to have any risk at all, then um, or not any risk at all. But if they if they want to be at the lower end of the risk curve, then um, you know perhaps having some physical gold, physical silver in storage um, is, is is perhaps more what they're you know what they're interested in. But they really need to you know discuss things with their uh, financial advisor to to work out you know what is best
0: for them. So Simon, I'd love your take uh, moving ahead on uh, gold versus silver, and 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 which of those metals you think has more upside potential. Uh, we've often talked here on the program of the uh, you know the level of uh, industrial demand for silver really outweighs the production. There's there's uh, on both gold and silver. Uh, more more people more uh, investors in uh, in the futures markets are standing for delivery of those metals, um, and yet the price has been suppressed. So, just two questions in the time we have left. Moving ahead, do you like gold or silver better? And uh, why have those prices seemingly not kept up with inflation, like say oil has? In your view?
1: Well, I I think um, the the answer is I like both, uh, I, but <laughs> I think gold is <laughs> gold is um i i feel more stable um silver is more volatile um you know if you look at the the prices of um uh gold and silver you know gold is fairly close to um previous highs whereas silver is um you know a long way off previous highs so um you know i i i i think that silver has probably got more way to go but um uh you know I think it makes sense to have a bit of both, and you know if, if you want to have a silver coin, a silver coin is probably worth uh, you know I'm, I'm guessing sort of thirty forty dollars which is which is pretty useful you know if you ever need to use that that's um, you know that's fantastic, but you don't want to, to to be walking around with a gold coin in your pocket if you want to go shopping, and um, you know it's worth a thousand dollars because you know what are you going to do with it? thousand dollars in a in his in, in a supermarket um but you know going looking at them from an investment perspective I, I think that um i like i like silver because it's got more uses um but it is incredibly volatile you know and if you look at what happens with the silver price um you, you know it, it, it it's suitable for some investors but if you're if you're retired um and you look at it on a daily basis, you know, it, it could be quite traumatic.
0: Well, my guest today has Ben, Mr. Simon Popple. He is the publisher of the Brookville Capital Intelligence Report. You can learn more at brookvillecapital.com. I'd encourage you to do that. And uh, Simon, always a pleasure to uh, catch, with up, catch up with you and have you on the program, and uh, love to have you back down the road. Thank you for joining us today.
1: I really enjoyed it. Thank you very much.
0: We will return after these words. I am Dennis Tubergen, and you're listening to the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio Program. Thanks again to Mr. Simon Popple for joining me on today's program. This past week, I was reading an article by authored by, I should say, past guest here on the program, Mr. Jeffrey Tucker. He writes for the Brownstone Institute. And it was an extremely well-done article, and it addresses the root cause behind some of the shortages that we are now seeing. And I wanted to share it with you. We are certainly in a different world. And as I talked about in the first segment, if you use traditional retirement planning strategies to attempt to achieve your retirement goals, it's my belief that you may fail. And I'd like to offer you a resource to give you some a different perspective. Uh, the book is Retirement Roadmap. The subtitle is, How Many Aspiring Retirees Can Use the Revenue Sourcing Process to Achieve a Secure Tax-Free Retirement in Today's Economy. I'd love to send you a complimentary copy of the book. All you need to do to request the book, and I'll send you some bonus information as well, is visit RoadmapToRetirementBook.com. The website, again, is RoadmapToRetirementBook.com, and I'll be very glad to send you a complimentary copy. Back to Mr. Tucker's article, it was titled, The Rationing is Already Here. And he starts the article by relating an experience that he had in a liquor store of all places. He asked the clerk, who happened to also be the owner of the store, for pomegranate liqueur. The owner's response was, I don't have anything, I can't get anything, I can't even get bourbon, Everything is running out. The store owner went on to explain that distributors come to visit him, but always with bad news. They don't have anything to sell. So why are they visiting the store? Well, it's their job. They're making the rounds, but they don't have product to sell. So Jeffrey asked the question, how long before we face government-imposed rationing? And he points out that it's already here. Pennsylvania and Virginia have state-run liquor stores. These states have imposed buying limits on bottled liquors, two bottles a day. If you're having a big party, plan in advance or lower your expectations, which has become a commonly used phrase today. Well, Jeffrey asked the liquor store owner what he saw as the problem. And the liquor store owner, interestingly, said it's about clogging at the ports. It was his opinion that the product is there, but no one can get the product. And it's not just the finished product. He said it's the bottles that the breweries and distilleries need just to package up their product and sell it. So the product just sits there in barrels, waiting and waiting, and meanwhile, everybody is losing money. Now, a lot of these bottles, he related, come from Mexico or overseas, which accounts for even why products made in America are still sitting on the shelves of manufacturers. The supply constraints are pushing up prices, alongside rising demand stemming from the floods of money pumped out out by the Fed, as Mr. Tucker says, to back outrageous spending by Congress. We can probably all agree with that. The liquor store owner also said there's a labor problem. We talked about this in the first segment of today's program. The owner of the store was working the cash register, and he was the only person in the store, and he has been working from 9 a.m. to 10 p.m. every day. Tucker says, remember how business owners are supposed to get rich and hire other people to do their work? Well, it's not exactly working out that way. He has a now hiring sign on his window, and he hires people, but he can't keep them. He says they walk out suddenly and don't come back. There are no new ones to hire. If someone does stop by, they make outrageous salary demands. And then when he thinks about hiring them, he's found that they fail the background checks that are required in his industry. Mr. Tucker asked the business owner why he thought this was. Why is there a labor shortage? And the business owner said that the lockdowns just showed millions of people they can get by without working. The government dumped money into their bank accounts. Young people moved home or rented three-bedroom apartments. They stuck six people in there and shared the rent and discovered they can live cheaply. And they have even more money than they've ever had when they were working. And that was his analysis. So where are we at presently? Well, Mr. Tucker, and I happen to agree with him, said that we are really facing the perfect storm, and it's hitting from every direction. Inflationary pressure is driving up prices of basically everything. Ports are clogged. Laborers have dropped out. As I related in the first segment, 4.3 million workers quit their jobs in August alone. The flow of goods is slowing more by the day, and consumers are starting to notice. So we're living in a world that is very different from the world we lived in just a couple years ago. And what's the solution? Well, there was an op-ed, interestingly, in the Washington Post. And it was written by one of the, the Post regular contrib- contributors, uh, Micheline Maynard, who said, just get used to it. We've got to lower our expectations like people did in the 70s when they needed to have gasoline, like they did in the 40s when food was rationed and in the 20s when housing was rationed. So expect more of the same. Well, I think for many of us, this is a disturbing world. And for those of you that are planning for retirement, it's even more alarming. That's why I'd like to offer you an additional resource. Uh, If you're just joining me, the Retirement Roadmap book is being made available absolutely free of charge uh, for the rest of October. If you'd like to get a copy of the book, just visit RoadmapToRetirementBook.com. That's RoadmapToRetirementBook.com, and I'll be very glad to get you a complimentary copy out along with some bonus material. Again, the website, RoadmapToRetirementBook.com, and if you'd like to go back and listen to any of the podcasts, any of our radio programs, you can download the RLA app by visiting the App Store and searching for your RLA. That's Y-O-U-R-R-L-A. Type it in all as one word. You can download the app and get access to all of our podcasts and other free resources as well. That's the program for this week. Hope you got something you can use. I'll be back again next week.